Before we get to the podcast this week, did you know that we have an incredible new sponsor and we love them? Did you know that? TriStar Engines and Transmissions has been building quality engines since 1988 from their Baldwin, Wisconsin shop. It's not just the quality, though. It's that family-owned atmosphere. It's the testing. It's the no-fault warranty. It's the latest parts and upgrades. It's the free shipping inside the Midwest. So many reasons why TriStar is ahead of their competitor, but don't listen to me. Visit TriStarEngines.com to find out more. Speaking of awesome, again, if you don't have a DirtOnDirt.com or Flow Racing subscription, honestly, what, what, what are you even doing with your life? Access to over a thousand live events across the country, including the World 100, the Dream, the Chili Bowl, Flow Racing Night in America, the All-Star Sprints, and about a hundred other things as well. And also, all of the DirtOnDirt.com premium content, 150 bucks, and you get all of that. Is there a better deal in American motorsports right now? No, there is not. Subscribe to Dirt on Dirt today and get your Flow subscription with it. It's free. Again, the deals are just falling out of the sky. DOD's award-winning Speed Weeks coverage is also coming up, so uh, get locked in for that as we are every night of Georgia and Florida on demand. So much coverage around Speed Weeks that begins at Alltech now. <laughs> the Lucas season now starts at Alltech, so don't be foolish. Get your subscription now. Okay, let's go. And most importantly, welcome to DirtOnDirt.com. This is the Rigsby Report for the week of December 14th. Normally, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I got some thoughts that I want to get to, right? But really, I just love this interview with Eckert so much, I don't want to delay it. Uh, he is as late model as it gets. I adore that about him. Uh, it's it's about an hour interview, and as you'll hear in this piece, there's a saying that, that, that is used in late model racing, and that's Eckert being Eckert, and that's perfectly stated. For an hour, it was just Eckert being Eckert. I, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I will say this one thing really quick before we go. I'm already starting to hear a lot about COVID affecting the early parts of 2021. I think a lot of people thought when that clock hit midnight on December 31st, that the calendar would just flip to January and we would be somewhat free. Uh, clearly not going to be the case. You're already seeing what's happening, uh, what I mentioned at the open with Gold Isles down in Georgia and the shuffle now to Alltech and everything with that. I think Arizona's going to be fine, but it's going to be a rocky road until this vaccine is in place. So I think our January through April is going to look a lot like it looked last year uh, maybe might not be as bad, but but buckle up. We all have to be nimble here, ready to move, ready to change dates, ready for things to be canceled on short notice. Uh, we are not in the clear yet uh, from the pandemic yet. So I just I wanted to mention that. Right? Let's be patient. Let's be uh, let's be patient. Say say that again. Let's be respectful. Uh, I realize things could shift on a very short notice, and I hope like hell in mid spring. We're kind of ready to rock and roll by normal in May. I don't know that it'll be totally normal for 21, but I think we'll get closer by then. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to wax poetic about this. I just wanted to say, let's just, let's be sober to the fact that it is going to still be a battle here for a while. We've been talking about how much we hate 2020 for a long time. Uh, just because it turns to 2021 doesn't mean that things are immediately going to be better. So uh, just prepare for that. All right, let's get to it. Rick Eckert. When we talk about the NFL or the NBA or some of the other major sports in the country, we often talk about 
famous draft classes, meaning guys that were all drafted in that same year and go on to great success. You take, take the NBA in 2003. You got LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. When we think of that year, that group of guys, you think of them collectively together. And now racing's a little bit different, right? Because it's impossible for everybody to sort of start in the same year. But we do have some of that. And there, there is a group of guys, a draft class, if you will, that I will always think of together. It is that mid to late 90s group that came up together on the national scene that were sort of the first national tour racers. You have Steve Francis, Donnie Moran, Dale McDowell, especially Chubb Frank to an extent. And as part of that class, you have Rick Eckert. When you think of, you know, have a Tampa morphing into extreme in the late stars days, and when it really became a national tour thing and into the late 90s and early 2000s, Eckert and that bunch that I talked about were all a part of that class, that group of guys as more attention began to be paid to dirt late model racing, that group that really helped put our sport on the map. I just wanted to offer a little bit of that context on Rick before we started, because to me, I will always think of him as part of this very important moment in time in dirt late model racing history, part of that class of guys that ushered in, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, the 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 real modern era of dirt late model racing and I, and I hope we can appreciate him for that. All right, enough nice things about the guy. I got a lot of questions I want to ask him. Let's get to it. Joining me now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline is Scrub Rick Eckert. Rick, I have a hilarious amount of notes that I've made for this interview with you. Maybe more uh, than I've done for any other interview for the Rigsby Report. So bear with me because I got a lot to ask you. But first and foremost, no. Uh, first and foremost, yeah, no, yeah, you're going to answer these questions. Uh, first and foremost, more important than racing, um, it was well known in the racing world that your grandson Lennox, you know, was burnt earlier this year in that accident at Port Royal on Labor Day weekend. Can you give us an update? How is Lennox doing? Just kind of fill us in on how he's doing. Uh, he he's he's been a trooper through the whole thing. He's really never complained about pain or anything. Uh, probably I'd say a month ago, all his wounds had had healed shut. So that was, they were waiting on that, you know, it took it way longer than they thought it would to get them all grown over. So now, now the next step is, I think it's Friday. Friday is his, his first appointment for, uh, they're going to take and go and do laser treatment and cut the scarring to try to make, to try to, it's sort of a new theory. They say that they can cut into the scarring and then maybe new skin will grow out over the scarring. Okay. So, uh. So he gets his first treatment Friday, which is sort of good and, and really disappointing when they when it only takes like ten or fifteen minutes, but they gotta knock him out still being that young. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so that part I don't really like, but but you know, maybe it'll help the scarring, so hopefully all that works out. You know, and that's that's an eight treatment deal over once a month. So that's the next eight months he has to go through that. You know, I, I truly cannot imagine what you guys went through when it happened. And one thing I think about, and I'm not sure anybody has asked you this question or not, that day in the moment when it happened, did you think to yourself at all, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to race again. Uh, of course, the entire situation was an accident and no one was at fault, but it, it is such a jarring situation. Did that, did that thought ever cross your mind that, you know what, I don't know if I'm ever going to race again? 
Well, it did, and and if he if he turned out he wasn't going to be okay, I probably wouldn't have. You know what I mean? But yeah. but uh, I probably would have just called it off that day. And and really, Bob took it really hard because he was dumping the fuel, and it was nothing he did wrong. You know, and and the other guy that helps me was holding the funnel, and they were both like, "Hey, we don't know if we're ever going to help again." I'm like. I get it. I totally understand. You know what I mean? And so we sit a couple of weeks and wait to see how to make sure that he was going to come around before we went back to the racetrack. You know what I mean? You know, the support you guys got from the racing community. I know I sent Crystal a message and Courtney and everybody. And it just, I, were you even surprised a little bit? Like, you know what? Holy shit. I'll, you know, <laughs> I must've made a mark in this industry because I don't know that anybody has ever reached out to people more then you, you and your family, the, the support seemed to really rally around you guys. Did that catch you off guard at all? It sure did. And and we're in a we were right in a moment of when the whole world is a is a political nightmare, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and all you see in the news is bad stuff about how bad everything is and how bad people are, and shootings and and you know, all that stuff, you know. And you're thinking the world's terrible, and then this happens, and it's a terrible thing that happened. But but like the racing community is is a very strong community. I couldn't believe all the people that reached out and people that did stuff. And, and oddly, I, a real odd deal is is a lot of it was sprint car guys. You yeah. know what I mean? A lot of sprint car racers and sprint car uh, teams did a lot. You know, some late model teams did too. But but it really shocked me that it was all over the whole. Even some NASCAR teams like Kyle Busch and Clint Boyer. They sent him some stuff, you know, uh, you know, which is really cool. You know, it, it shows that that when one of us gets down, that everybody will help him out. You know, his uh, his Linux. Did he get back to the racetrack at all? I mean, I know he's been recovering and stuff. Do you just, will he go back? You think, or is that it might take a little bit for <laughs> for Linux to get back? Yeah, it's gonna take a while. He uh, really, to be honest with you, he's gonna need some counseling because he when his mom turns the stove on, he runs out of the room. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. If the furnace kicks on, he gets panicky, you know. So it's obviously going to take a while, and and hopefully he comes. We can get him back, you know, next year. Get him wanting to go back, but if he don't want to go back, you know, he don't have to go back. You know, that's not a problem. But I'm I'm hoping that he he gets to he gets to where he wants to go back. You know, I, I mentioned in the open, you are a part of this class of guys, yourself, Steve Francis, and Dale McDowell, I especially think of the three of you together, that I really think shaped dirt late model racing forever. And as I always do, I did a ton of research for these interviews and talked to all of those guys and more about you. Have you ever stepped back and taken a hard look at that mid-90s through early 2000s time in our sport and thought to yourself, you know, it really was special. It was a unique time that likely I don't think can ever be replicated again. Have you ever really looked at that era, Rick? Because I know you don't do that much, but if you, do you think about that time often? Well, when you talk about it is, is it was a different time for sure because it was like back then that you had, you had like have a Tampa run just in the South. Yeah. And then up North you had stars series. You know what I mean? And then it got to a point where have a Tampa started getting more and more races and, and at more places and started to become more instead of just a regional deal to more of a national deal. And then some of us guys that ran stars and that said, maybe we ought to go try that. So, <laughs> so Francis, Francis and I went and did that uh, about the same time. I think I'm not sure if it was the exact same year, but I think it was the same year. It was. Yeah. And then, and, and then, 
like uh, we met up with Dale and Wendell and, and all them guys. And, and really the series was just, just starting to branch out, you know, because there was actually some promoters that, that called us on the side. And uh, one, for, one, for instance, was uh, we were racing at Cedar Lake and, and what's his name? Man, if I don't remember his name, <laughs> I know his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. Orville. Orville from uh, Huron, South Dakota. This guy calls us up and he says, he says, hey, uh, you guys don't have a race for like a week and a half. We'll, we'll pay you to come out here. We want to put a race on out here, and your series don't want to come. So we're like, me, Dale. It was me, Dale, Francis, and I think Wendell went. And so so the four of us left Cedar Lake, drove out there to South Dakota, and he paid us to show up. We raced, and, and it was it was a it was a terrible race. But I, I will say one thing: it was uh, it probably helped the sport some because. Like we got there and it was beautiful out. We heat race and it comes, it starts drizzling. And he's like, "Hey, we got to get this thing to halfway because you guys can't come back." We didn't want to go back either. It was South Dakota, you know. <laughs> so, so we, so we like, we're like, "Hey, just drop the green." So we go out there and luckily it had white tires buried around the inside of the racetrack because it was raining so hard during that race that you had to run out over to tell where you were. You couldn't wipe enough on the straightaways, and we ran all fifty laps. <laughs> we got done. And we pulled into our pit, and the pit area was so wet and so deep of mud that we, we were having a hard time load up. But in the middle of that, we had lines. We had lines for a block along each trailer trying to buy a T-shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> which was a, which was it, which was pretty ironic because it's it's raining hard. They're standing in mud up to their ankles. You know what I mean? And uh, you know stuff like that. There was a lot of great racers and that raced before us, you know, the Freddie Smith, the Schwartzes, the Larry Moore, all them guys. A lot of but well, like I say, it was it wasn't until like that habitat deal branched out to where we started getting more out of out of just one region with, with any series. Well, and it's a perfect segue to my next my next note was, you know, Scott was kinda running Have a Tampa when it was just a Southern tour and he's winning eighteen to twenty two races. Moyer had that G V S year, but otherwise Moyer's kind of an independent schedule guy. To me, those guys you were talking about, you guys kind of knowingly or unknowingly sort of unionized late model racing, right? You got the best guy in the Northeast, which is you. You got the best guy in Kentucky, which is Francis. The best guy in the Southeast, which is McDowell. The best guy in the Mid-South, which is Wendell. You really took the late model show on the road. And that, that South Dakota story is a perfect example of that. It really was just like, like you said, in the middle of the week, you decide to go to South Dakota. It was just such a a barnstorming time, wasn't it? Like where he was really exposing the country to late model racing. Yeah. And it was like, uh, the series wasn't sure they wanted to branch out that far yet. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and we were like, we can get paid. <laughs> so we were, <laughs> we were all about getting paid. So we were like, let's go race, you know? So we did that. Uh, we did that a few times, but Orville's sticks out the most because it was such an ironic, ironic weekend you know night that it rained and and the whole deal eventually and, and his, go ahead and if you've ever been to one of orville's driver's meetings they're well worth going to. <laughs> <laughs> eventually eventually you know you end up as part of that dirty dozen group in 04 um really kind of getting into the modern era uh, is that is that still in your opinion the 04 dirty dozen i think the greatest group collectively of drivers ever do you agree I agree because of there was only one series. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because people panic now when when they say, "Oh, one series is going to close up. One series is going to close up." Then what's going to happen? Well, there used to be one series. You know, all the good guys went to one series. You know, yeah. now 
it's actually nicer having two series because you have good guys at both series. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you get, and it, and it's, it's, and it's nice to have them races that aren't sanctioned that they get to match up against each other. Uh, but back then we matched up every weekend is, was the deal. What do you remember most? If I just walked up to you and said, what do you remember most about the dirty dozen year? What would it be? Wow. I, I have a terrible memory. Uh, <laughs> some, some of the stuff, some of the, most of the stuff is funny. You can't really repeat. Uh, give me but, something. Come on. Give me something. Uh, I know. I'm trying to think that year, what that year was. Uh, that was, well, well, see, Scott tried to put it together before then. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and Scott, Scott had it. He had it down before then. He had it all put together. It's just he was in left field a little bit. You know what I mean? He was uh, like, I, I like Scott. Me and Scott have been friends forever. We, we have no problems. And and the guy thinks way out of the box. And and he thought that deal up long before that. And about had it to go and then fell off the wagon. You know what I mean? Uh so when it came back around, it was pretty cool. That year, probably the most ironic thing was when when, we, when they called up and said, hey, we all need to meet at this airport and have a, have a meeting. And it's like, huh? It's like, yeah, we need to be at this airport and have a meeting. I'm like, well, okay, because the airport wasn't it was in Pittsburgh. So was, I said, I'll just drive. It's four hours from me. And we went there, and we sat down in the room with these guys, and and, uh, and they're like, there was I'm I'm gonna tell you what, you hear a lot of bad things about them guys. They were from South America. Um South Africa. I can't think South of their Africa, names, yeah. But, uh, Bobby Hartsliff yeah. and that group, right? Yes, yeah. that group. So we sit down with these guys and, and, and you know, we're a bunch of hillbilly dirt racers and these guys <laughs> don't even really speak very clear, you know. The total opposite of us. So so they're like, Well, what do you guys want? And we're like, Well, you know, we'd have to at least race this many times with this amount of show up money and and they're like okay and we're like huh they're like yeah yeah okay that's what we'll do so we're like okay so we so then in the middle of the season i have partway through the season and guys said hey we got races people want us to go race in texas for like two weeks so so we just say hey we can't go for that kind of show up money to texas and they're like well how much do you need and so we said we need double. Okay, no problem. You pay this double. <laughs> so really, actually, that year was pretty ironic. But but actually, for a racer, I mean, that was the year everybody split. You know, half the guys went yeah went with Doug Bland and and the good years. And and, and realistically, we all know who paid for most of that stuff. You know, right. that year. Uh at any so, point, didn't you wonder to yourself at some point, though, like, man, listen, I, I don't want to name names. I don't want to say anything. In 04, I was at an outlaw race, and there was somebody walking around literally handing, handling, I'm going to say it again, handing bundles of cash out. And I'm like, after the race, like, hey, man, here's $1,000, here's $1,000. And I, I thought to myself, eh, I don't know if this is going to last. <laughs> Did you wonder that a few times during the year? Yeah, we we wondered it every week. <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest with you, we're like this can't keep up. But but you know that them guys were they get a bad rap, but they were great guys. And never once did they tell you they were going to do something and didn't do it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just got them on the phone and said, "Hey, this this ain't working. We're going to try this. Okay, we'll do that then." Uh, you know, 
which I don't, I'm not the guy that thinks that the race drivers and owners should run the series, but sometimes they need to be listened to. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, uh, is my opinion. Your former crew chief, Robbie Allen, and I talked for a long time before this interview. You guys were coursed together for, I think it was about eight years in the height of those rave vest days, that orange hauler. Him and I talked about the orange hauler forever. It's one of the most iconic haulers in our sports history. He brought up a great point to me. At the time when you and Francis and McDowell were really running up and down the road together, think about not just the drivers, but the driver-crew chief combos. Dale McDowell, Shane McDowell, Steve Francis, Chris Francis. Rick Eckert, Robbie Allen, Francis said to me, because I talked to him too, that combo of people, driver, crew chief, could never be repeated. Three guys together at once, all on the same tour, traveling the country. I think he's right about that, don't you? I mean, I didn't, that is a monster driver, crew chief combo with those three. Well, that, that is, that's, that's a good point for sure, because really most teams nowadays the driver is the crew chief. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the way it was back then too, except for a few of us had crew chiefs and and it it actually the weird part was we a lot of times we run and we'd race in the south for a month. Uh we would just stay at Dale McDowell's shop. You yeah. know what I mean? It, Francis would stay there, I'd stay there, Wendell would stay there. Like it'd be like a truck stop. We'd all just <laughs> and then when we got in another area we'd stay at another guy's shop, you know, and and we all got along and raced each other good and, and uh was it was a it was a fun time of racing. It really was. It was competitive racing and it was uh and it was I don't want to down down racing now. Down racing now is just totally different. You know, racing now is is so aggressive, which is fine. You know what I mean? I, I actually sort of enjoy it. But uh, but back then it was uh a lot less a lot less contact, a lot Back, uh, the easiest way to say it is back then you passed the guy off the corner and now you pass the guy into the corner. You know, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty much the difference. You know, back then you set a guy up for 10 laps and figured out how to pass him off the corner. Now when he lifts, you just figure out how to pass him. <laughs> you know? it, was, uh, it was also very clear to me the bond that you guys all had. You talked about that a little bit. Francis told me, you know, your daughter, Courtney, used to call Steve's brother, Uncle Chris. And there's pictures of you guys. Francis has a great line. He said, there is pictures of us at amusement parks and go-kart tracks in 20 different states. <laughs> he said, how, how close of a bond was that back in the day between that core group of traveling guys on that series? That's what I say. There was really never hardly any hard feelings. And, and we all, like when we had a day off, we'd be like, hey, we're going to Kings Island. Yeah. Okay, so we'd all go to Kings Island, and then we we'd go to another amusement park. And actually, the, the week Chris died, the week before that, we were headed to Cedar Lake, and we had a couple of days off, so we went to Lake of the Ozarks. And actually, Rick Ockland was with us. We rented boats, and we went out on that lake. And there's pictures there. I have pictures sitting on a mantel at my house. It's it's Chris, it's Chris Francis, and and my daughter standing at the top of this rock, getting ready to jump off. <laughs> we're jumping off these rocks into the into the into the water, and uh, and then unfortunately, he got sick that next week and passed away. The great guy. Why don't you think we see that? And I, I, I personally, you tell me. I mean, you're on the road a little more than I am. I mean, we're both on the road a lot, but we're both working too. I don't think you see that anymore. It, it, you know, is it part of it because you know you and Dale and Steve were all about within a year and a half of each other in age? But I, I just don't think we see it anymore. That bond on the road, I think, is gone now amongst drivers compared to the late 90s and early 2000s. Why is that? Well, 
some of it is that you pass them into the corner and not off the corner. You know what I mean? Back to that. Some of it is that. You know what I mean? Some of it is that. You know, because then, you know, you might be friends today and not tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's, it's a different world now, too, you know, with all the digital stuff oh, yeah. and all the, the internet, you know, and, and I don't know. People can stay busy in their hall or, and just be on their, on their laptop or whatever and, and be play video games, which we never did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You actually had to get out like now, like literally said, you've got this supercomputer in your hands, right? You don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. You and Chris Francis did not have that option. You had to go out and, and talk to each other. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we, we would, uh, as soon as we woke up, we'd be outside uh, doing something, you know what I mean? It'd be like, we're not stuck in this truck. You know, nowadays, a lot of them guys really at the racetrack. You don't see them do. They don't come out of the truck till two or three o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? If if so, I uh, yeah, if I if I was gonna walk up to you, and I didn't really know anything about dirt late model racing, like I knew very little about it, but I knew you raced for a living. And I said, hey, you know, Rick, I heard you race for a living. How was your career? How would you answer that question? What was the question again? If I if I walked up to you and I, I didn't really know anything about dirt late model racing, right? I just knew that you were a race car driver, and I just said, "Hey, Rick, I heard you raced for a living. How would you say your career was? How would you answer that question to somebody that didn't know a lot about racing?" You know, I'm probably like every other racer to say we didn't didn't win near as much as as you would like to have, uh, <laughs> but you know, got worked around a lot of great people and a lot of great car owners and sponsors and uh so this listen every every teacher i ever had said i was a slow learner so (laughs) so for me to be able to go out and do what i and make a living at what i love to do uh for most of my life to me it was pretty awesome you know i the next guy might not sit in that truck and drive all night long night after night but you know if that's what i had to do to to do to to make a living and doing it that way, I was fine with it. You know, I'm still fine with it. I know you as, you know, superstar late model racer Rick Eckert from the Northeast, but I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because I don't know that everybody knows your background in racing. How did you get your start in motorsports? Where did it all begin for you? Take me through that. Okay, well, my father raced late models yeah. when I was a kid. When I was a kid, he raced late models and uh, till. Listen, I was probably right on 71. I wasn't very old. I was only, uh, I was like seven or eight years old. He got in a bad crash at Williams Grove right past the bridge on the back straightaway. And when he, when he did, he hit the inside guardrail. And back then, they had the guardrails overlap the wrong way. Well, the guardrail come through the car and cut his foot off. Yeah. So so that ended, that ended our racing for 10 years he didn't race so when he came back to racing he got a street stock car and he came back and started racing and so i helped on it and then i got turn 15 and there was a a racetrack up here called trailway speedway and they had a figure eight car where you just take a car right off the street and and run figure eight right through the middle so he was going there to race anyway so i got i got me a car and i went there and i figure eight raced and then, like the next year, I I got a a street stock car, and then 
And then we probably never would have had late models, but my father got thrown out of the racetrack that ran the street stocks we ran. So <laughs> he went, he went and got the next year. We got two late models, and uh, and we went to Seals Grove in ni- 1984 was the first year I ran late models. But you know, you're you're in York, right? So you're pushing posse territory there. So how did you? I know you've got a little bit of sprint car history. How, how did you? You know, it's not like you're born in Fairbury where everybody races a late model. How, how did the late model not sprint car thing happen? Well, the late model deal because my father ran late models, so I ran I ran late models for for some years. Uh, a few years around here, and then one point we got a we got a sprint car, and I ran it for about a year, and uh, I was racing it in a late model the same night, and so it was way too hectic, and I was working on both of them, and I knew nothing about really either one of them. So, so, so I fi- I figured out it was easier to uh, just work on one, and and we had more late model stuff. We did sprint car stuff, so we just we just sold the sprint car stuff, and and uh, just kept running late models what is it like racing for a living in essence for 30 years literally your livelihood is on the line each night with your performance and you've done that basically for three decades and honestly before you answer that were there also nights and I i want guys to be honest with me about this because you're racing for a living did you ever have nights where it was like shit money's tight right like i don't know if we can make it to the next place just Take me through all that. You're you're a late model lifer. How hard is it? Did money ever get really tight? I, I just love to hear about that. Well, fortunately, I I got I got went on the road. The first ride I had on the road was Robbie Allen's dad, Bobby Allen. Yeah. I I got a ride with him and went on the Star Series. So that only lasted about a half a year. It was it was right towards the end of when Bobby was was able to fund the team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Robbie was crew chief in it. And, uh, and then when that ended, I got back in my dad's stuff and, and we went on the road, which, which I never got any, I never got paid anything to drive my dad's stuff. <laughs> I, I did all the work and, and we put all the money back into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so for, for a few years there, I drove my dad's stuff and, and we ran at star series and, and we would, I'd come drive all night, get home Sunday night and then get in my truck and go to work. You know, I drove truck, so I, so I did that for a few years, and then Nathan Durbro, which just passed away, a good friend of mine, he uh, he drove for Ray Vest, and and they were around here winning a lot of races, and so so Ray wanted him to go on the road, so he, they decided to go stars races, so they go on the they go on tour, and Nathan and I pretty much ran up and down the road together all the whole year, and by midway through the year, Nathan was he was sort of over because he was the guy around here probably won 12 to 18 races a year. You know, he went on tour and hadn't won one the whole season. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and Ray was used to winning 18 races. So when you take a car owner that's used to winning that many races and a guy that's used to running that many races, winning that many races, it, it, it can get toxic. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So Nathan was about over at the end of the year. He, he, they put Franklin in the car for like the last race. Nathan, he left and they put him in the car and, and then, but the whole year Nathan's like, "Hey, I need to be on this ride. You need to have this ride." I'm like, "I'm like, that would be nice." They had all brand new, nice stuff, you know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah, I had, yeah. I had, yeah, yeah. And and I'm like, "No, Nate, you know it's your ride." He's like, "No, I'm telling you, I'm at the end of the year, I'm done. I, I'm not doing this." <laughs> and so, uh, so then Ray hired Rodney Franklin, and uh, and it was like uh, maybe halfway through the next year they split up, and Ray called me, and 
and I went and met with him, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, that was a funny story. He says, would you, he called me up and said, what do you think about driving my car? I said, well, I think that would be awesome. He said, why don't you drive down to my house and meet with me? So I, I drove down, and uh, we're sitting in his kitchen, and, that, and like, I didn't know Ray. I knew Ray a little, you know, because we ran up down the road together, and he'd go to a lot of the races. And I've never met his wife, and, his, and we're there talking. And he's telling me what he'd like to do and asking me what I'd like to do, you know. And, and his wife comes walking in, and, and she looks at me, and she says, I'm just going to tell you right now. I, I don't like racing. I think it's stupid, and and I think this is stupid. <laughs> she walked. She walked back out. She walked back out of the kitchen, and I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, you sure you want to do this? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I want to do this. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm like, you sure about that? He's like, listen, if I want to do it, I'm gonna do it. And and uh, so it, that caught me off guard the very first. In fact, I just talked to her a few days ago. And uh, we brought that same story back up, you know. So did and, you uh, did you have a salary for him then, Ray? Were you a salary driver, so it wasn't as much pressure on you? Or how did that work with Ray? I've never been a salary guy in my life. I've always been a percentage guy. Okay. So, so I've never was guaranteed anything. You know what I mean? So, so that was, yeah, how much pressure all... is that? For thirty years, you've done that. That's I feel like it'd just be scary, isn't it? Well, it is. It is really scary when you run bad. The, the, I'm, it's not as scary when you drive for somebody else. It's, yeah. When I when Ray passed away, I I drove for myself. Was when it got the. I'll tell you the night it got the scariest. Is uh, I I go to. We've been on a. We've been on a. I forget what year it was, but we we've blowed up a few motors, and I own everything, and and. So really, I'm not prepared for that because I don't have much for sponsors. And and a great friend of mine, Eric Jacobson, I was running around with him, racing around with him some. So that so then he loans me a motor. I'm out of motors, and he loans me a motor. So I I go to uh, New York. We had this New York swing, and then back to back to uh, Lernerville. So so we we go to New York. We go to Canada. Come out of Canada, my truck breaks down. Oh God! The transmission transmission goes crazy. So I, I I get it to a Freightliner dealer in Syracuse, and and John White, who owns Gibson uh, Express, he he got me into this truck truck dealership, and uh, so and we had to race Canadagua the next night. So he talks them into they loan me some big construction truck, hooks to my trailer. I hook it to my trailer, and I <laughs> I go to the racetrack. So now I got a borrowed truck. My truck's sitting there broke down. I got a borrowed truck, and I go to this racetrack, and I got a borrowed motor, and and we hot lap, and we break a motor. God. I had my motor. I had my motor. We break my motor, so I get my backup car out, and we're running second in the feature and blow up Eric's motor. Oh, God. So, so I'm like, I'm done. You know, I'm like, how many signs does a guy need, you know? <laughs> and so, so I, I call Eric up and I'm like, there was twice, two different times this happened. So I call Eric up. And I'll tell you the second story too quick. The, the, so, the, so I call Eric up and I was like, listen, man, I got bad news. I said, I, said, I blew your motor up. I said, but listen, I'll, I'll fix your motor before I fix mine. I said, it ain't no big deal. He said, well, what do you got for Lernerville? I said, I, I said, I got nothing. I'm done. I said, I, there's no, there's no reason for a, I said, I don't know how many signs that guy needs, but I got enough signs now. <laughs> I said, he says, he says, no, you're not, you're not falling off the horse. I don't, I don't have no choice. I said, I, I need to. I said, this is stupid. 
he said, I'm sending two motors up with Scott to the racetrack. I'll put them in Scott's hauler, and you just get them out and put them in your car and, and race them motors. I said, listen, man, you're not hearing me. I said, I can't afford to fix both of these that are blown up now, I said, let alone two more. He said, I don't care about that motor. I'm sending you two more. Get to Lernerville. So I, I get, I'm at this truck place, and, and I, they said, well, your truck ain't going to be done until Sunday. Well, we raced Lernerville on Thursday. So I called my dad up. I said, hey, can you send, bring me a truck up here so I can get my trailer? He said, where are you going? I said, well, I guess I'm going to Lernerville. <laughs> he said, got any motors? I said, no. So I just, we were waiting for him to get there. We unloaded both cars, pulled both motors out, cleaned the oil systems. So we pull in at Warnerville, we got no motor and no car. <laughs> so Scott shows up at about 2 o'clock. And uh, so we grab, we get the one motor and we stick it in. And we get it done, we race. The next day we work. We we had to go get a motel room because I didn't have a, didn't even have a place to stay. You know what I mean? Because our truck was in yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah. So race that weekend. Uh, when the race is in Saturday night, I get my dad to drive the truck and trailer home. I get in with Tim Fuller, ride back to Syracuse to get my truck, <laughs> get my truck and drive back home. <laughs> so that was, that was, I, if it wasn't for Eric, I'd have quit that time. And then one other time we're Attica and it, well, I think it was right before this. I think it was the same year because we were having trouble with the motors and, uh, and we go out and we hot lap, we qualify and we set fast time on the first lap and blow up on the second lap. And, and I pull in and I, and I'm, and Zach was working for me. You know, it was little Zach. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was working for me. So I pull in and he's like, well, get that backup car. You know, he panics. He's, you know, I said, listen, man, I don't think we're going to get it out. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I think I had enough signs. I'm I'm calling this <laughs> off. He's, he's like, what? I said, listen, man, I, I think I'm going to call this off. This don't make any sense. And I said, so my wife comes and she says, why don't you have the backup car out yet? I said, I think we're just going to load up and leave. Wait, we can't leave? I said, I said, listen, we can't afford to stay, really. <laughs> but so, so they talk me into it. We get this car out. I I don't make it in the heat. Come through the B main, the window B, and they start their feature. And we get to halfway, and halfway there's a red flag. Guy rolls over. So stop right in the middle of the racetrack. And so back then they, they would have a lot of open red. So they made it open red. So Zach walks out and he says, Hey, man, did you park over a water puddle? Oh, said, no. Zach, <laughs> I said, Zach, we're sitting in the middle of the racetrack. I don't think there's any water puddles out here. I said, why? What are you telling me? Well, there's water all under the car. Oh, God. So, so we pop the hood open, and the radiator's got a hole in it. Oh. So I said, okay. I said, let's go. Well, I said, go get a radiator out. I'll pull in there. So I pull in. While they're flipping this guy over, we change the radiator. We come back out and just get out on the track in time. And they drop the green, and we drive back through the field. And I was running, I was up to fifth then. We drive back through the field and pass Josh with like two to go to win the race. So that night was like the best ever and the worst ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? All in all in one night. You almost retired that night, and instead you won an outlaws <laughs> race at Akia. That is a, that is incredible. I and th- those stories are those are perfect though, right? Because that was exactly what I was looking for, and it it goes to my next point. I, I said to Robbie Allen, I said I said this about you. I said. He's really done everything in our sport. He's one of the most famous guys. Oh, by the way, happy birthday. Today is your 55th birthday today, is it not? I believe it is, right? Yeah, I wasn't going to tell you that. Yeah, I, I thought <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, 55th birthday today. And I said to Hog, I said, why does he still do this? And especially after those stories I'm just hearing. 
And Hogg said to me, Robbie said, you know, he goes, trust me, one thing I know about Eckert, if he didn't want to do this, he wouldn't. You know, I like to ask guys, is they near the, you know, you're closer to the end of your career than you are the beginning. Why are you still doing it? So why? Why are you still doing it? Well, um, I, I just grew up, that's all I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I get to do it. And as long as I can win races, I'm going to do it. You know, as soon as I can't win races, I'll just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but as long as I'm competitive and can win races, I'm, uh, I'm going to do it and physically able to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm fine shape. I mean, I don't, I don't ever struggle that way, that way. You know what I mean? But, uh, I've always loved doing it. It's, it's way more work than most people ever realize. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and the funny thing is people say, well, what do you do really for a living? <laughs> like, well, yeah, pretty much. I've never had a weekend off in my life. You know what I mean? You know, I had a race. The, the, I had a race car driver tell me one time. They uh, uh, somebody said, "What do you do for a living?" And the driver told me, "I just unload shit and pack shit up. That's all. That's all he does for a living." I, I'm he, really good at washing stuff. Yeah, right. I'm really good at cleaning stuff. Because when you're a dirt racer for a whole day, every week you clean stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, so God. I'm really good at that. You know, besides that, my talent. Maybe a janitor is my next, my next <laughs> thing, you know, my next gig. I get the key ring and, and I'll be able to clean stuff. But, uh, you know, it's just I always loved doing it. And it's, it's something as long as I can be competitive at it. And, and it really has nothing to do with, with, to me, it's never really had anything to do with being pot, being famous or anything. You know what I mean? Not that I'm famous, but, but, you know, it's never been about that. It's always been just because you get a chance to race. You know what I mean? You know, that's it, just all, all I'd like to do. One of your friends told me Rick Eckert would be just as happy being Rick Eckert, the truck driver, as he would be Rick Eckert, the dirt late model hall of famer, basically saying, you know, winning races and selling some t-shirts is nice. But honestly, to your point earlier, it was never about that for you and that you could, is that right? You know, Rick Eckert, the truck driver, you'd have had just as fulfilling a life. Is that, is that true or not? Well, that wouldn't be as fulfilling, no. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. But you know, in the whole, yeah, the whole uh, t-shirt deal and all, I probably should have took that more serious than I did. You know what I mean? You know, because I was like, I will sell a couple of the truck. Let's do it. But uh, so some guys do really well with that. And uh, but no, I'm I'm really content with what I do. I I try to work really hard at it in the shop here to where maybe my car is a little better than the next guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, so that maybe I'm not the best racer in the world, but I maybe if I get my car a little better than them, I can beat them. I look, I look at your career and you have literally been successful in everything, every era wedges, small body spring smasher comes in. You're good. You know, that's fine too. Now in this current car, as Steve Francis said to me about you, he said, no one has persevered like he has. And I think he's right. Why do you make it work, Rick? No matter what late model racing has thrown at you, you have made it work. Why the hell is that? I don't really know. Just because I hate losing, like everybody <laughs> else. You know, what I mean, you know, you hate losing, so you, you work hard at it. You know, and it is like I say, it is. It's it's way more technical now, and it takes. Probably my biggest disadvantage is I'm not smart enough now. You know what I mean? I don't believe <laughs> that. Where, I don't believe you that. know. So, uh, as far as, as, am I the first guy to go to the cushion? No, but if I have to, if I absolutely have to, I will, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, 
so I I learned to adapt. I guess is the best to say. You know what I mean? I learned to adapt to what whatever it throws at us. You will forever be linked to the great Ray Vest, who you told a great story about with his wife earlier. Uh, your car owner for so many years, of course, was Ray. He just adored by everybody in late model racing. They they do not make them like Ray Vest anymore, do they? No, that guy, like I say, that guy loved racing so much that when his wife come in there, and she wasn't kidding. <laughs> she was dead serious. <laughs> and, and over the years of driving for him, I'm telling you, the first probably five years, I've never seen her. You know, and then we got to become, he got to be bringing her along with him in his motor home and we got to be friends and then she got to making us dinners and, and then really the last 10 years I drove for that guy, we went, when in December we'd spend a week and he had a place in St. Martin, we'd spend a week there every, every year and, and him and his wife and me and my wife and, and we would, we would do anything from, from play games to to go to the casino, to go eat dinner, you know, and hung out. Uh, you know, they were for sure like family. You know, I see on your website that one of your hobbies is golf. Um, how is your golf game, number one? And Suave has offered to give you golf lessons, number two. Uh, answer both of those questions. Do you want the lessons from Derek? Do you need the lessons from Derek? Where Where are we with the golf game, oh, Rick? Okay, let's start out with, let's start out with, I never update my website. So it still says, it still, it still says I weigh like 165. That, and a buddy of mine gives that to me all the time. He takes a picture and sends it to me. I'm like, well, these days I got to update all that. I, I do like golf. I haven't golfed one time all year. My golf game is terrible. I would love some lessons from these swap. <laughs> okay. All right. He'll be happy to know that. And when I see him tomorrow, I will let him know that. Listen, you know, Derek, you're like the original Suave Motorsports driver. So this will be very exciting for Derek that he gets to go give you golf lessons. He'll be very excited about this. Um, but, but I don't drink. I don't drink very much, so I don't know that I can keep up on the golf course with you. I promise you, if you, you you're not going to keep. Uh, we have members of our staff that try to go toe to toe with him, beer for beer. Cannot be done. That kid can the amount, and he's unfaced. Rick, he can drink thirty beers, and it's like it's like he's had nothing. It's actually pretty incredible, honestly. It's it's a you've seen it at the Prairie Dirt Classic. You've seen it before. Years of practice. <laughs> Your uh, last couple things here. Y- your wife, Crystal, who we love, and, and I admitted, I, I, I've admitted it to her before. I had a little bit of a crush on her when I was a kid, right? She's out there selling programs. Crystal, very good looking woman. You know, no, no big deal. You were able to keep her away from 13 year old Michael Rigsby. Well done. You did good there. Uh, she, she, I, still, I still have that picture of you. Yeah, exactly. John Gill shirt. <laughs> she, it wasn't. It wasn't that hard to keep her away. Uh, she is a. She's a noted entrepreneur. You know, I know she started some firehouse subs up. How, how has that all been through COVID? Um, it, did that hit her hard? And can you tell us how or is it going with Crystal's Firehouse restaurants? Yeah, that's that's not good for for her. She has she has like three franchises and. Uh, the whole COVID deal is not good for anybody. Let's, yeah. let's start with that. But uh, for her, it, it has helped some fast food restaurants. But and but with the way the firehouse formats or the way they're laid out and stuff, they don't have drive-throughs. So really, at the beginning, it was terrible because yeah. everybody was so scared they didn't even didn't want to go in anywhere. So they all just went to drive-throughs. You know what I mean? And so they they pay the bills at the moment. Uh, they don't really do much better than that, but as long as they pay the bills and we get through all this, hopefully uh, that'll be good. 
I'm I'm guessing you got in there and mixed it up too, right? You're cutting bread, you're cutting meat. I, I've heard that she has put your ass to work since owning these firehouses. Is that true? <laughs> oh, I do. I I go and I I will. Uh, whenever somebody well, somebody calls in sick all the time, but whenever they absolutely need me, I'll go to one of the stores. And actually, last Sunday I was I was at one store and and ran the slicer and sliced meat. And then when I looked out, they had a line to the door, so I went. Stop slicing and went out and made subs and come back and pick slicing. But uh, yeah, I like you know I don't even mind it because it's something I've never ever done. Yeah. You know, and and when you when you get to do something you never ever done, it's sort of neat to learn something different. You know yeah. what I mean? It really, 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 I don't mind it. Uh, I don't go there a lot, but like when they need me, like she gets a lot of catering orders, so I will go in early in the morning with her. And we'll make the catering orders uh, when they're when they have a bunch of them, and and that's actually pretty cool. It's sort of like assembly line. It it's really right up my brain level. You know, <laughs> uh, you know we haven't even talked about uh, 2021. What are your plans for next year? Do you know yet? What are you doing? Who are you doing it with? What's your 21 plans? As of now, uh, I'm going to do probably about the same thing I did last year. Run for run my own stuff around this region and and then run Alan Murray stuff, you know, at like I think we're to start in Florida and then uh I mean Alan he he he's gonna race a little more this year he said so I think he's, his goal is to try to run uh most of most if not all of uh summer nationals. So uh I'll have that month off you know from his car but sure. there's really port royal has stepped up around here and there's a bunch of race tracks that the the late model purse around here has got better you know and there's some some decent races around here so you know when i can leave my house at, at three my shop at three thirty and be back by 11 and, and get to race for three grand it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? It's really not. <laughs> would you uh would you ever go back on the road full time or are those days past? Like if somebody said, Hey man, I got this full I got this ride for you, I need you to run the entire Lucas tour next year. Is that are those days over for you? Would you consider it? You know, uh Alan and I have had this conversation and he he's a little more don't know about it than I am. And <laughs> and the only reason I'm I don't the only way I will do it is the way that I haven't done it in forever is to have enough crew people and enough resources. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I feel like the last part of my career I never really it's hard to take a one crew guy and one driver and keep up with the teams that are out there now. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have they have for the simple reason is is there's a lot more work now. You know, with the spring smashers and the shock dinos yeah. and the, and and there's just so much more work so you need I mean, to go do on the road, realistically, a minimum, uh, like two people besides the driver, if the driver's going to help. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Is 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 what it takes to be to think you even have a shot at at winning a championship. And if you're not going to go without a shot, you, I'm not going to go. You know what I mean? I asked uh, one final thing. I always end all of these Rigsby Report interviews with true or false questions. But before we get to that, I, I, this didn't quite fit into true or false. I asked Mark Richards for some stuff about you, and he brought up some really funny stuff. 
Uh, I think he said you won the first ever race that a true rocket chassis won in February of '92. Is that that's correct, isn't it? You were the first real first rocket winner ever, the true rocket. Is that right? That is true. Yeah. Okay. He built cars. He built cars right at the end of the year before that, yeah. and uh, Mike Mike Bazano had them, and some couple other guys had them, and then I got one, and they didn't win anything, and then I got one. And went to Hagerstown opening day and won opening day at Hagerstown with it. We were we were testing. Um, he, here's the other story that he said, and he wants you to. He said, "Tell Rick to finish this story." He said his quote was, "He goes." He said, "We were testing one day at I-79, and I had to get in and show Eckert how to run the top. Eckert will finish the rest of the story. Is there any truth to that at all, or not? This is that is totally true. This is totally true. So." So we're there, we're there testing, and I have my own car there. I'm not driving for him. My sure. own car, and and we're trying to get better. And it's now it's middle of the afternoon. We're testing. It's about 100 degrees. He barely puts any water in this racetrack, you know. So we're, but it was a great little racetrack. It, yeah, it really was. It was. And and uh, and so we're going around there, running laps and running laps and changing stuff. And and he and he says, he says, listen, if you just entered higher. He says, we, you'd be a whole, we'd be a whole lot better. I said, uh, listen, man, it's solid dust out there. You can't enter any higher. <laughs> and, and, and now, Mark, at the time, you never seen him drink anything. So some hillbillies come, and we're put in the infield. They, they pull him beside us, and this Mark's, he's thirsty. He says, man, I'm thirsty. He says, uh, and he says, you guys got anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. They pop the door open. It's all beer. So, so he's on like his fourth beer, and and he don't, and at the time he didn't drink, and, and he says, I said, hey, where's your helmet at? He says, what do you mean? I said, this, the seatbelts just jump in this thing, wheel that thing around that top. So he says, well, I'm gonna go up and get my helmet. Gets on his floor, he rides up to the shop, gets his helmet. He comes back because his head wouldn't fit in my helmet. <laughs> so, so he uh, he comes back, he gets in his car, and and he turns, he goes. Pulls out on the back straightaway, and he goes down the back straightaway. He gasses her up, and when he gets to one, he drives her in this dust. And luckily, it had no guardrails, and he flies out of this thing backwards. <laughs> and, and, and the motor, the motor shuts off, and and I didn't hear it hit anything, and I'm laughing. <laughs> and that's why fires back up. He pulls in. And he says, "You asshole! I can hear you laughing from the from <laughs> <one> I, <laughs> I said, well, I'm trying to explain to you that wasn't going to work, but it, didn't, it wouldn't sink into his head. Uh, that uh, that's good. He, yeah, he knew that. He knew you'd tell that story. He knew that you'd get a kick out of that story. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get you good on these true or false questions. Uh, so I got to say some nice things about you before we finish this interview. When I talk to people, okay. when I talk to people about you, these were the things that were said. Uh, here we go. First one. Literally the hardest worker I've ever been around in late model racing. Number two. There's a reason he's had the same sponsors for so long. It's a true testament to the character that he has and the character of his family. He's very unique in that way. Third, we used to have a saying, it's just Eckert being Eckert. And we meant it because he was so ornery, but you could always say that to mean so many things because he's one of the best guys we knew. Sure, Rick was ornery, but at the same time, he was one of the best guys we knew. And that was Eckert being Eckert. When you hear that stuff, those are your peers, right? That's Francis and Eckert and Richards and McDowell talking about you. What do you think when you hear that stuff? Well, I don't sugarcoat anything. So, so I tell it how I see it or whatever the truth is. If you don't like that, probably won't hang out with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, no, that, I mean, 
I I feel good about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, then it, and pretty much it's all true. <laughs> pretty much is all true. All right. So speaking of, <laughs> we're going to finish on true or false. I got four true or false questions for you. Number one, true or false. You once in a minivan with Steve Francis driving directed the Kentucky Colonel to pull on to Bourbon Street in New Orleans, which by the way, you're not supposed to drive on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. He did that very illegally because you told him to. True or false, Rick Eckert? That, could, that is true. That is true. <laughs> But he fell for it, and we got a good parking spot. Yeah, that's, he, <laughs> said, he said the same thing. All right, secondly, true or false, you once had a hard night of partying, let's just call it like it is, and perhaps the next day you are a little bit hungover at the racetrack. It happens, happens to all of us, but you went out there and won the race the next day. But because it was so hot at the track during the event, it was 109 that next day, perhaps during the victory you won the race, you, you may have been fighting back a little puke during the race true or false well I'll, I'll, you know, I will tell you the story it, it is true <laughs> and if you want to hear the story I will tell it yes please okay so uh, me and Burkhoffer were always buddies me and Brian so so a lot of times when we go to when he was on tour we'd go test and and we'd actually get in each other's car and run them just to see what that guy what he yeah, liked yeah. he'd see what I like you know so uh so we're working out of Brian's shop, and he has some buddies there that are just crazy. So we go out, we go to a go kart track. It started out innocently. We go to a go kart track. We <laughs> we're we're running these go karts. Well, it's the same deal. It's 100 degrees, and there's nothing there to drink but beer. So we start drinking this beer. Next thing you know, we end up at a bar. Next thing you know, we close the bars. So I get back to Burke office and lay down in the truck. Well, I put one foot down to keep me in the bed in oh. the bed because I thought I was gonna fall out. Oh. So next thing you know. I'm I'm laying along the curb, puking, which I probably shouldn't say this, but, but it's true. So I'm I don't mind saying it. So I'm laying. So I I get up in the morning and I drink, but if I drink water, I was I would puke it up still cold. Like I couldn't keep anything down all yeah. day. This Burkhoff is laughing at me. Everybody's laughing at me. So and this is a, so we get ready to go to the racetrack and and we we're going to uh, the great big racetrack right there. Oh. Uh, uh, Davenport. No, the other one. Uh, the big one. West Liberty. With the trees in the middle. West, West Liberty. Liberty. Yeah. West, West Liberty. And it's not 20 minutes from Burkhoff's shop. I can't even drive my truck there. So I said, Francis, I said, you're going to have to drive my truck there. I said, I, I, I got to lay down. So he drives my truck there. We don't go 10 miles, and he gets pulled over by DOT. <laughs> so we get, <laughs> we get DOT. It's a whole nightmare of a, a trip. So we get to the racetrack. And we get out, and Richie Lewis was running series then, him and Greg Martin and all them guys. And they were all a great group of guys. And they're like, man, what is wrong with you? I said, man, I, I'm tore up. So they said, we got to drink Gatorade. So they sent a guy to the store to get Gatorade. <laughs> and, and luckily, this is before cell phone. So we're all good. You know what I mean? Yeah, no pictures, so, right, right. Yeah, no pictures. So, uh, so we heat race. I finally get this Gatorade to stay down before the heat race. I'm like, man, I think we're going to be okay. So... So we heat race, winter heat race, and we start outside pole with Scott feature. So I get in this car to go to the for the feature, and I, I told Robbie, I said, "Hey, Robbie, I said, I said, this is before cell phone, so you need a direction." I said, "Walk over to that Amlet." I said, "Ask them people where the hospital is." And he said, "What?" I said, "Ask them people where the hospital is." I said, "Because when this feature ends, I'm driving this truck straight to that hospital. I'm gonna get my stomach pumped because I think I'm gonna die." <laughs> 
So he says, okay. So we they dropped the green this feature, and it, at West Liberty has a little scoreboard you're getting into three. Yeah. It used to anyway. I don't know if it still does or not. And I passed the Scott, and it was typical West Liberty. I halfway through it, it rubbered, and and I'm, I I can't even read the scoreboard in three anymore. My eyes are so blurry. So so race ends, win the race. Uh, so in, in, they interviewed me, and they and they were all laughing, you know, because they all knew what the deal was. So they they make fun of me in victory lane. They said, "Yeah, hey, you've been sick all day." I said, "Yeah, I've been really under the weather." Well, my wife is 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 listening to this somehow. This interview. So, uh, so my, I get done racing. We drive to the truck stop. I said, I'm gonna go to the truck stop, turn the air conditioners on high, and just, just hibernate for 12 hours. So, so I get there and I go to the payphone. I call my wife and she says, "I said you're sick." I said, "Yeah." She said, "You think it's something you ate?" I said, "Possibly." <laughs> she says, "Oh, okay." She said, "Well, I hope you feel better." So, well, I hang up. <laughs> so the next day, I, I get up. And I felt better, and I, I called her, and she says, hey. She said, you know, I got to thinking about that. I said, what's that? She says, you were at Burkhoffers. Oh, no. Said, yeah. <laughs> she says, probably wasn't something you ate. It wasn't probably <laughs> something you drank. I said, that's probably more like it. <laughs> probably uh, more like it. That, so, is, uh, that is, I love, from the Burkhoffer part on down, I love every part. You have Richie Lewis reference in there. I love all of it. That is a good story. That is a good story. Uh, last <laughs> last thing, last true or false, you once convinced a crew member of Dale McDowell's to jump off of a cliff in the Wisconsin Dells naked. He did not know this, but a, a, a tour boat was coming by at the exact moment his naked body was standing on top of the cliff, this double-decker. Is that true or false? That actually is true. That's actually true. <laughs> I'm three for three. <laughs> I'm three. It was three. it was the rocket ship was coming by. They have this boat called the Rocket, and it was coming by. And he's jumping off. He had his shorts in his hand. He jumped off that cliff and hit the water. Uh, uh, I I went three for three. Right, that was that really was amazing. I, I've wanted to sit down and pick your brain for a long time on a lot of things, and you've just had such an interesting career and it's an interesting year. Um, I cannot tell you thank you enough. We did almost an hour, and I told you it was going to be 30 minutes, and we went 60. So um, thank you so much. Th- thank you so much. Uh, please give Linux our best, and, and tell your wife, Crystal, who we love, hello, and give Courtney, say hello to her too, please. And um, you know, I think we'll see you here in Florida. Speed Week starts in less about a month, so it's not very far off. But uh, thank you so much, man. It was a really a great hour, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Cool. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Do you want the deal of the century? I have the deal of the century. If you buy a car or truck from Bomb Chevy Buick in Clinton, Illinois, new or used, you get a lifetime subscription to Dirt on Dirt and Flow Racing with it. Lifetime. until you're dead. They're truly the friendliest people in the car or truck buying arena I've ever met. And my next car, for sure, me personally, my next car is going to be bought there. Check them out at Baum Chevy Buick. That's B-A-U-M, ChevyBuick.com. The best in the business and a lifetime subscription with it. That's literally a several thousand dollar value you're getting. Check out bombchevybuick.com today. That will be our last Rigsby Report for the year of 2020. Oof, what a year it was. We hit 12 Rigsby Report this year, so we averaged about one a month. And as, as I said a few weeks ago, that's going to pick up. I think we'll hit 18 to 20 pretty pretty comfortably next year. I'll do some uh, some more on-site as well, some some Rigsby reports that I'm recording on location. Thank you to Rick Eckert. Scrub was awesome. Thanks to TriStar Engines and Bomb Chevy Buick, both amazing partners. And remember, there is no better time on the planet to have a DOD or Flow Racing subscription. Arizona, 
Chili Bowl, all of Speed Weeks. It's it's all happening right now. Our busiest two months of the year. Also, our best of coverage continues to roll on on DoD, our content machine. After changing oil in the fall, we had to change the oil on the content machine. It's back and, and rolling here as we get ready to crush 2021. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. Uh, we'll, we'll see you from Arizona here in a few weeks to get started to rip. So uh, keep it locked, man. DoD and Flow. We got a lot of stuff coming. Thanks.